All right, hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Talking's Not Dead. So on this episode, I invited my girlfriend on, Rebecca. Um, she wanted to talk about Sarah J. Moss, which is the author of one of her favorite fantasy series of all time, uh, A Quarter of Thrones and Roses. Um, she's also the author of A Crescent City and that series and A Throne of Glass in that series as well. So we discuss um, the writing style, we discuss what she liked about it, some favorite moments, and we discuss... Um, you know, other possible things like a TV show in the works and just her thoughts of it on overall in general. Uh, please remember, guys, that uh, no one in these videos is an expert or has any expert advice. So please remember anything you hear in this is only opinion. Please do not take it as an expert advice or an expert opinion. All right, let's go ahead and jump into it. All right, Rebecca, thank you for coming on. So um, today you wanted to talk about Sarah J. Moss, one of your favorite authors. So my first question, as kind of always, is why did you pick this topic? What made you want to talk about it? I picked this topic because I need to spread the gospel, honestly. Oh, yeah. Sarah J. Moss is a whole like cult thing and I need I need to I need more followers. I need to spread the the gospel that is Sarah J. Moss. Well, um I guess the question is when did you join this cult? How did you discover Sarah J. Moss? It was actually a really it's a really funny story um because people ask me this all the time like how I found out about it. But I was um, in college, as you know, I was pre-med. And one of the things that they said would be really good to study for the MCAT was to just read a lot because, you know, you have to be able to read um, and comprehend really fast because there is actually a verbal reading and writing section of the MCAT. And somebody even shared that there was like a Star Wars passage. Oh, really? Um, one of the MCAT questions. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to the bookstore and I'm going to go find something that I'm interested in reading. And I had seen this um, book when I walked in. It was like a big, thick book. It was mm. called A Court of Silver Flames. And it was like a new release and everything. And I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, maybe I'll read this. This is going to take a good chunk of my time. So I read the back and I found that it was like the last installment of the series so i'm like oh let me go find the first book of the series so mm -hmm. the first book was as you know court of thorns and roses grabbed that it was a little small for me so i grabbed the second one after it thank god i did that mm -hmm. was pretty hooked yeah. um, after and that's that's basically how i i stumbled upon it well that's really cool um so if i remember correctly at this time it was very popular on social media though as well and you discovered that popularity afterwards, right? The yeah, the 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 book that I had found, The Court of Silver Flames, was like as soon as I had seen it, I started seeing it all over social media. And then shortly after I had even started reading it, mm -hmm. it like I started seeing it everywhere, like all mm -hmm. over TikTok. There's a whole TikTok dedicated to like memes about yeah. this like book. Yeah. And like a whole fandom that I didn't even realize and I just became part of like i said it's it's a it's a following, it's a following. yes 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 um so what is it about her and her writing do you think that makes her stand out from other authors i feel like she like i've never been much of a i mean you bryce know me very well i'm 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 definitely an instant gratification kind of person it, i do mm. not like things that i have to like take my time to like get i want like instant gratification mm -hmm. but sarah j moss made it um so that i could easily like enjoy a good slow burn book mm -hmm. like the first book and i tell everybody this like the first book is 
kind of hard to get through honestly like i feel like it really lulls until like the middle end Mm -hmm. and then it all of a sudden just snatches your attention Mm -hmm. and then even in the the second book it's kind of a slow burn even it's a slow burn again you know Mm -hmm. and i don't know she really just grasps my attention i i will say that i do have some critiques Mm -hmm. like that i i do agree that she does have a lot of like run-on sentences Mm -hmm. there are some grammar like um issues that i have with her writing Mm -hmm. um but i am a big grammar nazi so there's that um so that is that is a critique that i do have but i do give her a lot of slack because i did when i researched more about her as an author i realized this was her very first adult fantasy series that she had actually written mm-hmm. um so you said that she makes it so it's easier for you to to like um, enjoy a slow burn. What do you think that she's doing differently from other people then to make you enjoy that? Like, what is the thing that's different? The thing that's different, and I mean, it might just be me. I can't mm-hmm. speak for everybody. But for me, I feel like there are things in books that, like Easter eggs. I feel like there are Easter eggs in certain books that you don't get right away. You have to like read them a second time. Mm-hmm. In this book, there were Easter eggs that like, I had I was able to like recollect mm. like I could be in the second book and something could be mentioned that was already like very subtly hinted in the first book and I was like yeah. oh my god you know like yeah. it was easy to remember that because she had made it like a subtly profound moment but not so uh, subtly okay so I think her easter eggs are really good she makes it easy for the reader to understand those Easter eggs and draw back to them. Okay. That's actually something I would not have thought of. It's definitely a very um, unique skill, I think, in an author, for sure. Mm-hmm. I do too. I feel like, I feel like, I almost think of like Taylor Swift, which is another love of mine, as you right, know. Right. So it's like Taylor Swift very subtly hints at her Easter eggs and her songs. So I think of, I think of Sarah J. Moss as the Taylor Swift's of artists, of authors. Okay. That's high praise. That is so embraced. Um, well, so okay. So another thing that I've heard you praise about her is her world building through all through the various different um, uh, novels that you read from her. So, what do you think makes her world building so good, and what's unique about it? So, again, I will say there is some controversy on this because some people will say I have I have heard people say her world building in A Court of Thorns and Roses is not that great. I think it was amazing, especially for somebody like me who's you know new to this fantasy world um because like i i i would say that i didn't read high fantasy before mm-hmm. i read her like it was like people who have read like high fantasy i feel like know what i'm talking about but um her world building i felt like was easy for somebody new like me to understand and really appreciate um because when i got to her other series um crescent city i was like oh my god this is the most complex most complex like world building i have ever read it took Mm -hmm. me i'm a i'm a pretty fast reader as you know like Mm -hmm. i could i got through the second book which i think was i don't know was it like 500 pages the second book of uh roses yeah Uh, that was was like 600 pages 600 pages i read that in like three days Mm mm-hmm and her her first book of Crescent City was a it was like 
a couple hundred more. It was like, I would say it was about 800 mm-hmm. pages, which is pretty big. But right. for me, I feel like I'm somebody who could get through that pretty easily. Right. Um, but it took me a very long time to read that book because I had to very, I had to digest like the world, the type of people, like their mm-hmm. whole, um, like she created a whole universe. Mm-hmm. It was more than just a world. It was a unit. She's completely built this whole universe and mm-hmm. multiverse. Mm-hmm. If you go into her other series, it's insane. And I think her world building in, um, a Court of Thorns and Roses was just really well done in a way that it was good for beginners. Mm-hmm. That way, when you go into her other books, you're able to understand the the higher complexities that go mm-hmm. into world building. Like, you know, she she basically created um, like in A Court of Thorns and Roses, it's kind of just like maybe a continent that you think of mm-hmm. that has like the spring court, the night court, right. the autumn court, just different courts in this one land. Mm-hmm. But in like Crescent City, it's a whole world. It's like a city like that's maybe even bigger than New York mm-hmm. that has like different sections and there's different parts of the world that people are going off to have like a war in mm-hmm. different like um, species of creatures mm-hmm. um, that have their own kind of like even like religion and um, social views mm-hmm. on how things are um governed in this world mm-hmm. so it is very interesting so um when you say that you know you're talking about crescent city let's talk about that for just a second is it the complexity of the world building that you like or is there another aspect specifically of the world building that you think like really kind of like, captured you for crescent city let's talk about crescent city i think it really was the world building which is very interesting for me because like I said, I've never read a book like it. I've never, um, I, I feel like I'm not somebody who usually would appreciate things like that, mm-hmm. but I really did because it, you are reading it and you're kind of thinking, wow, this, this person, like this singular author mm-hmm. created like this whole world with all these names, all these like things of these people, even their like physiology mm-hmm. of, of all these different creatures. Right. Like she basically created like even her own government for this mm-hmm. city. I really appreciate because that's that's a lot of work. It's just I don't know. It makes you like wow. This is very. You can really appreciate it. So is it um, more? So maybe more the 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 wholeness of the package. Then it seems like there's no stone unturned in terms of what she's thought of for this world. There's no I question so. you could ask that she doesn't have an answer for. Exactly. There really isn't. In the beginning, you 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 come at it with all these questions, but it she digests it. In a very stepwise almost manner, which makes it feel very slow. But once you get it, it's like all encapsulating. You're kind of just flowing with the characters that are in it mm-hmm. and their chemistry. And it's it's a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So, you know, we talked a little bit about her strengths. What do you think some of the, her weaknesses are? You already kind of touched on grammar and stuff but there any other writing weaknesses you think that she has well funny you should ask that because it was actually you bryce who said to me you were like you know i don't think she writes men really well and i did say that (laughs) that was a hot take for me honestly but you know what as you know 
I, I read the series once and I mm-hmm. spread the gospel to you and yes. my best friend Natalie and you guys were reading it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to read it too. I'm going to reread it and, um, and like kind of come at the perspective of some of yours and Natalie's critiques. So when I read it a second time, I think it was able to like have a little more criticism. Um, and even with Crescent City, I, I do have some criticism, which is I do think her writing is a little bit better mm-hmm. in Crescent City. Um, but I think I think you were right. I think she doesn't completely write men well, especially mm. in A Court of Thorns and Roses. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the main characters, one of the main male main characters in the book, um, like Tamlin, I don't right. think he I don't think he was very well written. I think he could have been a little bit better. Um, I do think she was a little harsh on that character, but. I still stand by her decision. It just was very, I could definitely see it be abrupt as it was. Mm-hmm. I think she could have made it a little smoother. Okay. So is it more this, the transition then from, and, and again, for those of us to be a little bit less vague, we're talking, it sounds like you're talking about in the first book where you kind of went from the love interest to no longer the love interest at the beginning of the end of the first book, beginning of the second book. Yeah. So, uh, do you think it was just the abruptness of that? Do you think she could have like foreshadowed that more, or like what do you think was the part that oh, wasn't totally? I think she could have totally foreshadowed it. Although I will say, like, it's so funny because it's like I'm I'm doing this with you, and I don't want to like give it away in case other people want to read it. But there's a spoiler warning ahead, so just, there's just a spoiler be aware, warning. Just be aware. Okay, cool. We're spoiling the entire um, thing. Okay, so like. I almost wonder if it was a creative choice for her to make the audience fall in love with Tamlin Mm -hmm. because Feyre did too, but Feyre was also really naive. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about the main character, as you know, sorry, I should have like led with that, but I'm almost wondering if that was a creative decision on her part to make the audience like the main character Feyre to fall in love with Tamlin Mm -hmm. and not see the red flags like she didn't see any of the red flags. Mm-hmm. I'm almost wondering if that was that decision because then she just flipped the script in the second book and was like, "No, you guys have some issues just like favorite does." Interesting. I never thought of it like that, and I definitely could see an author, you know, going with that route, um, even if it was that decision. I don't know if it worked for me, but just because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean it's not a good decision in the long run. Um, so that's interesting. Um, any other weaknesses that you can think of, or is that like the main one that comes to mind? That's really like the main one that comes to mind. I will say, like, I've only read like this one series, and um, I read Crescent City, which only has like two books, and I haven't read her young adult series, which everybody keeps raving about. Um, I'm in the middle of reading her young adult series, and well, it's, it's pretty good so far. It's actually a great segue into my next question. So I know that you've been, you've started reading A Throne of Glass. Now, I, I'm not going to ask you too much about that because I know you've literally, you're like halfway through the first book. But um, as you've gone back to her first book, have you noticed any differences from her writing style then versus now? Oh, yeah. Like, what do you mean? I can, it, it's so weird. It's like I'm reading this book and this, and I do know it was her first, this, her first ever series that she wrote was A Throne of Glass. And not only was it her first series that she wrote, it's her it's a young adult series so she started when she was 16 yeah yeah really young mm-hmm. so her stylistic choices and her inner monologues of the characters are a little 
I can definitely see a teenager writing this. Oh, okay. It definitely, it, and that's not to say it's bad. It's just very Noticeable. young. Mm. Yeah, it's very young type of thinking. Um, there are some word choices that, I mean, I don't know. She uses really, she's very, um, what's the word? Eloquent with her wording in Crescent mm. City. Mm-hmm. It's like she became a really nice adult writer in I Crescent see. City. She was like transitioning through a Court of Thorns and Roses, and she was very—I don't know. It, I guess, it does read a little amateurish. But, okay, interesting. Yeah, but I mean that makes sense because that was again first outing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, especially because I actually don't know if you know this that she actually had this written and she posted it on a website on a like a like one of those like um, book websites where you just post your own thing for a while before she published she published it. I actually did not know that. That so, is very interesting. So yeah, there's a, there's an original draft of uh, a Throne of Glass that exists that was on the internet before she redacted it and made a book out of it. Okay, that is very interesting. I didn't know that, but that again, like, makes sense because mm-hmm. it does read like, yeah, it reads like that. That's and fair. again, that's not to say it's bad. It's it is good, but it's definitely like, okay, my younger high school self would like this a lot more. That's fair. And just because you're not a target audience doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad, bad thing. You know, it's going for a specific goal. And obviously, you know, you'll yeah. tell you'll tell me what you think when you f- finish the series, because it could change. What I find really interesting, which is why I decided to read this, because I wasn't going to read this series. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like no intention of ever reading it was she wrote this way back then. Mm-hmm. But she has Easter eggs in that book that have even been in her most recent adult series. Mm-hmm. So she must have had this planned out for a while. And or she's good at backtracking. Because sometimes that's how these Easter eggs work out too. It's not always necessarily that was planned. But it's that because of the way that you write things. It's easy to tie back to. And kind of like. Oh maybe. You know yeah. I mean? mm-hmm. Especially as someone who DMs a lot. I mean trust me. I've gotten at least decent at doing that. Where I'm like I said this thing. I'm going to make that relevant now. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, um, I was curious, do you have any, um, favorite moments or, you know, favorite moment or moments from the books you've read of hers? Anything that stands out to you as a, you could pick a few, you could pick one. What do you think? Okay. Um, I have quite a bit, but I think I definitely can narrow it down to, like, are we talking throughout all of her books or just like A Court of Thrones and Roses all of her books. specifically? All of her books. All of her books? well it's i i don't want to even tell you because you haven't read crescent city yet um that's a but okay i'll i'll give you my top for um the court of thorns and roses and i'm sorry if i'm spoiling this for anybody who definitely wants to read the book but read the book maybe now this will, read the book now maybe this will intrigue you um i think my most favorite moment i everybody loves chapter 55 which is when um in the second of, book. And I'm talking chapter 55 of A Court of Mist and the Fury, which is the second book. And that's when, you know, the two love interests, Feyre and Rhysand, they finally get together. They finally get together. And it is chef's kiss. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. so beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, but honestly, my most favorite favorite is when... Farah has to pretend um, that she has to go along with Rhysand's act when they go um, under the mountain back Mm. to the night court. Mm -hmm. And she has to like dressed up and they they have this like very domineering act. I mean, you can see it's like my discord 
profile oh, pic. Right. Um, but it is nice. It is it is nice. It is a nice moment. Okay. Anything from Crescent City you want to share? You can be vague if you want. People that have read it, they can tell. So in Crescent City, the main character's name is Bryce, as you know. My, and it's a book. girl. It's a girl. Bryce Quinlan. She she is she has a no no fucks given attitude. Sorry, wait, was I allowed to even say that? Yeah, you can cuss. Okay, cool. I didn't know if I'd have to be like bleeped out or anything. No, um No. This is the internet, so, baby. Wild okay. West. <laughs> I'm making money so, on this anyway. She is like a no fucks given kind of lady. Uh she does her own thing, she takes what she wants, and she is like cut and dry. I think all of my all of her moments with Hunt, this um, he's kind of like kind of like a detective mm -hmm. that she has to work with. Um, he's called something else, but you he's basically like a detective. Sure. And the way she like taunts him is like hilarious. There are so many funny moments. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite moments is when they're like it's like her her brother, this dude, and, like, her brother's best friend, they're all sitting on this couch, and they're all different magical beings. Mm -hmm. And they're just on a modern-day laptop, like, researching things. And oh, yeah. it's it's a really good moment, yeah. That's cool. It's really funny, yeah. All right. Um, if I were to move on here, I guess I have a couple more questions kind of on this vague line, and then we're going to go ahead and switch gears a little bit. Um. So I was curious, if you had to change one thing in Akatar's the entire series, what would you change? What would your one change be? If you had the power to change one thing, what would you want to change? I would change the fact that I would definitely change, and this is like way later in the series, but yeah. I would definitely not have made Lucian Elaine's mate. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was, that was a really poor choice because she really kind of, um, and maybe this is another criticism, but, you know, I, I, I feel like I should almost explain to the audience what this means, but I don't want to take too long. Um, basically like this character from the spring court, Lucian, um, like he was a tootle bro. One of my favorite characters yeah. in the first book. Love that man. He's a homeboy. Lucian's a homeboy. I, I my biggest he, sadness with the series was what they did to my boy. He I was know. a home. It is. He was a homeboy, dude. He, he was. He was. But you know, um, Elena's favorite sister, the main character, she goes yeah. into this cauldron and, um, it makes her a fae mm. because before she's human, mm. and so when she comes out of the cauldron, she's fae, and she's forced in the cauldron against her will. She comes out. Lucian is there and he sees her and suddenly they're like mates yeah. because that's what the Fae have with each other. So they're mates and um, Sergei Moss is like, I don't know what she was thinking because it's like, that was it. Elaine doesn't see, doesn't fall in love with Lucian. Like he falls in love with her as his mate. She's really quiet. She's kind of like depressed. We kind of don't know what the fuck is going on. And this with her. happened like pretty early in book three, right? This happened no at the no wait yeah 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 it happened yeah it happened early on in book three because it happened at the very end of the second book. 
Oh, yeah. The end of the second book was that. So I guess it was technically the end of the second book was when she turned Faye, right? Yeah. It was the very, very end. Yeah. So and like... Then... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go for it. No, you're good. You're good. I was just going to say, I feel like it hasn't gone anywhere since I guess... So the end of the second book to the third book, fourth book, fifth book, it has not gone anywhere. Exactly. And so that says a lot. And it's kind of sad because you can see that Lucian is really trying... Yeah. But Elaine is, like, completely dead to the world. She's very somnolent and yeah. flat affect, like. And sh and then suddenly Sarah J. Maas just start stops talking about them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very, um, it's very, like, weird how that happened. Do you think she's going to pay it off in some way in a future novel? Do you think that that's, like, something that she has in the works? Or do you think it's going to get dropped? Like, kind of, so, maybe not drop, but, you know what I mean, kind of, like push to the side something else is going to happen i'm hoping so so like there are some like ideas floating out there on tiktok that lucian is really not elaine's mate that mm -hmm. she's tamlin's mate and tamlin is again the main the main character of the first book the first love interest mm -hmm. the dude that ends up being not that great and mm -hmm. lucian and tamlin are best friends in the beginning mm -hmm. obviously they're not best friends anymore but <laughs> You know, he still holds a certain, Lucian still holds a certain torch for Tamlin because, you know, they grew up together and Tamlin like really helped him, you know, and that's talked about. But I'm, there are some, I some ideas that Elaine is really Tamlin's mate since Tamlin was there also when she came out of the cauldron and Lucian is just hiding it because that would be so painful for Aira. To find out, it'd be it would be painful for painful for Tamlin too, since there's like that conflict between mm. them, lots of drama. Um, and then some people are like, because you know it's been hinted in the third book that you can reject a mating bond, like yeah. that can happen. And I'm almost, and then you see Azriel becoming, and Azriel is one of the friends of Feyre that she becomes friends with, and. Mm. People are thinking, well, what if she does reject the mating bond and her and Asriel get together? Because mm. her and Asriel become pretty close. Yeah. Like, especially in the fourth book. I think narratively, I think that makes more sense than the first option. Just because I think the books have put, faced a lot of um, emphasis on the mating bond. And I think it'd be very interesting if you took that down as natural progression of, like, what do you do if a character rejects it? You know what I mean? Like, how do they move on? Like, you know, how does that affect them? And can you find, like, real love? if you reject a mating bond in this world where mating is a real thing. Like soul exactly. mating. Yeah, exactly. And so it'll be really interesting too, because the Accord of Silver Flames, which I finally got to, was of course like a, would you call it a spinoff? It's, I don't know if the, if the spinoff is the correct term. It's close to a spinoff. Like it's the same characters, but it's a new different main character, different perspective same setting but it still is continuing so i don't know probably a spinoff is the closest term um is uh, is it like anthology series or something like that i don't even know what that no it, it, an anthology is like different but i mean yeah so it, it's it's basically like a continuation maybe from a different character's perspective that's focused on the other character which in this case is Feyre's other sister nesta mm -hmm. so sarah j moss has made has decided to do that mm-hmm and she has decided to that she has subtly hinted that there will be another A Court of Thorns and Roses book. Mm -hmm. And some people are thinking that that will be from Elaine or Azriel's perspective. Mm -hmm. So, who knows? But 
instead of coming out with that book, she came out with the third Crescent City book, which has a lot to do with A Court of Thorns and Roses. Which we're going to come to in a... Well, we can come to that in a little bit. Maybe not spoiler week, but um, I had some questions about that. So I have one more question before we kind of switch gears here, and I am going to force you to answer this question. If I forced you to pick, which would you say is your favorite book of hers that you've read? I forced you. If you forced me? I forced you to pick one. My favorite favorite? Your favorite favorite. This is going to be so shocking to you. It is. I'm ready. It is definitely Crescent City, um, A House of Sky and Breath, the second book. Really? Yeah. The one that took you so long to finish. Why is that? That second book literally opened the floodgates to the multiverse that is that Sarah J. Moss is about to reveal in this third book. This third book that she's coming out with, I think in January mm -hmm. of 2024, is going to be insane because yeah. of that second book. It literally dropped like the world, I swear to God, the world's biggest fucking, what do you call it? Uh, cliffhanger. Mm. Cliffhanger, bombshell. Like I was screaming. I was screaming. It is so good. And I will say, again, the reason it took me so long was it, it was very, like, those books are really dense. Mm -hmm. That's almost a thousand word book. Yeah. That's, and it's, it's really dense. It has a lot of politics, a more, in, like, inner politics mm -hmm. of that book. Well, so you, um, you're mentioning the multiverse. So actually, I, I have a question later, but I'll, I'll jump into it right now. So, so Sarah J. Moss has created a multiverse with her three main novel series, right? All three of them are in, in interconnected now. I mean, in some way, I'm still, I've not read Crescent City. I know that you're being big on that on my, my behalf. So do you think that was a good move on her part? And do you think that more authors would benefit from doing something like this? Or do you think there's something special about her series that lends itself to a multiverse like this? I think there's something very special about this. Like, I feel like if it were anybody else trying to do this, I don't think it would go down well. Mm. She did this very carefully, very methodically. Like, it is definitely not shoved in your face. You do not even think of these things. Like, you can kind of see some things that link in with those books. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think I even told you, like, um, I... I actually kind of spoiled the second book for myself. I know that you read the ending, like because I read through, the ending, and then you're like, "I need, I need to know what happens." Like, oh my god, you were freaking out. Yeah, so I read like the last sentence of the book, and I just can't, I can't. And I was like, "No way!" And so when I went back and reread, um. When I went back and reread A Court of Thrones, I was seeing things for the first time, too. Like, I was highlighting certain things right. and was like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. Right. And I'm, like, going – I'm literally, like, flipping between books and, like, right. highlighting certain things. And I'm, like – Recontextualizing stuff. Yeah. I even have, like, notes written down on it. Like, oh, yeah? Yeah. That's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> That's dedication to your cult. <laughs> it is because I'm, like, I'm trying to, like – tie in things that yeah. she's literally put out there to lead to this do you think it's gonna work out do you think that the next book's gonna stick the landing i really hope so it would be such a shame that i honestly like this next book that she's gonna come out with she can either she's either gonna do a really good job or it's gonna be com a complete letdown it mm -hmm. can go either two ways but and that comes out at the end of the year right yeah i have very thin sarah jane moss i think she'll uh i i think she'll do us good i think she'll do her fans good yeah Mm -hmm. okay so i want to switch gears a little bit here so 
I know there's a possible Hulu TV show in the works for Court of Thorns and Roses. Are you excited about that? I am, but I'm not. Um, I don't know if you ever, like, saw or read City of Bones. Mm -mm. Okay, so that was a really good series that I read when I was younger. It was a really good young adult series. Mm -hmm. um, Had with Fallen Angels. It was really good. Um, They made a TV show out of it on Freeform. And it sucked. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. sucked so, so bad. And I am, and it honestly just ruined the whole book. It really did ruin the whole book for me. They even tried making a movie out of it, too. The movie, I think, was even better than the TV show, but the yeah. movie still sucked. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I am scared because Hulu hasn't made many good shows. Okay. Honestly, this would be really cool. I think Sarah J. Moss deserves. Game of Thrones energy, like HBO. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be cool. So, I mean, it could be good. I mean, the, the what is it? The Handmaid's Tale, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a couple episodes of that. That one's really good. Um, so, there, it could, H Hulu could do it justice, and that could be, you know, Hulu's crowning jewel. Do you think but... that, do you think that Crescent City lends itself better to a, to a TV show than A Court of Thrones and Roses? If you're looking for that Game of Thrones style, a lot of the ways that you describe Crescent City sounds kind of like that complex, political, you know, character-driven, world-building. sounds like that's almost like a Game of Thrones-esque HBO show waiting to happen. That would be really cool. Um, the only problem with it as a show, I mean, it could because it could be like a J. R. Martin kind of thing because you know she's not finished with it. Yeah. But it could easily become like that where you know she never finishes it. Yeah, you don't have to have it. On. You don't have to yeah. finished for them to. Um, it, it it could be. I will say it would be interesting to see. I think it would make a better movie than oh, a show. Interesting. Because there's a lot like that book. If you just took away all the war, all of her like content, like if you, I feel like that book could be really shortened on screen. Interesting. Okay. Because you would be visualizing the world. You would be uh, visualizing okay. the politics. You know, it's it's easy to write a lot of words of the minutia involved, but condensing it down, I feel like it would actually make a better movie than a TV show. Oh, okay. I would not have thought that. Mm -hmm. So I read that uh, Sarah J. Moss is working with the production of the show. I've heard that she's working, mm, I don't know if really closely is the word, but at least she's pretty close working with it. How important do you think it is for a show or a movie based on a book to involve the original author for it to be successful? I think it's super important. Like if you take take a, you know, Harry Potter for example, that's probably like one of the only arguably one of the only like movies that has been really well adapted from the books. Mm -hmm. And J.K. Rowling was immensely involved. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I never read a Game of Thrones. Um, but I know some people that did, and I, I, I mean, that was a pretty good show. I mean, up until the end, but up as we know wasn't. that, <laughs> up until it wasn't. But you know, um, that was uh, that was that was like going off script. Like I think the book, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Game of Thrones, the books end when Jon Snow like almost dies, right, and then he comes back to life. So actually, the the last, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, I could get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure the there's five books that are currently published. The fifth book ends with Jon Snow dying. Yeah. And I yeah. Uh, I believe the way that we know that he comes back is because I believe George R. R. Martin 
at some point between the last like 12 years since he's not published a book, he did release some excerpts from the sixth book that he'd written. Um, and that was Jon Snow coming back to life. So like then we yeah. know that we know that that's that's what's supposed to happen is because or George R. Martin released that, but that would technically be in the sixth book, I believe. The fifth book ended on a cliffhanger where Jon Snow died, and that's where people were for a long time. Exactly. So like, and you could definitely, and that was in the the show too. So I mean, the the show was really really good up until it wasn't. But then again, like they stopped. He stopped writing. Mm-hmm. So I I to answer your question, um, like yeah, I think an author's involvement in a movie or show production is extremely important. Um, cause with, without that, it's like, you know, they're not going to fully, they're not going to fully grasp the world that is that story that that author created. Yeah. Does that give you a little bit more hope for the Hulu series or are you still just it not sure? It does. No, it, it does give me hope because I don't think Sarah J. Moss would let it be the way that it, I don't, I, I, I would like to think that she would not let it get be cheesy or mm. cringy or childish it is an adult Mm -hmm. book Mm -hmm. it should be an adult tv show part of me wonders if that's why it seems like it's taking so long is because i wonder if she's trying to make sure that they get it right i've i've thought of that too i did see on instagram once that um her husband apparently i think is also very involved in it like i don't know if he's in production or something but there's like a a clip about with him and a screenplay Mm-hmm. of it and that was like a really big deal in the sarah j moss community was actually getting to see the script of part of the script interesting yeah that's interesting i would not have thought of that so i have some specific akatar questions about like the story i was curious about i know this is one we've talked about so i want to get your opinion live now do you think that Tamlin deserves all of the hate he gets throughout the series and from the reaction from the readers? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could have been done a little more subtly, but he really screws over Feyre. Mm-hmm. Like, he he really is the definition of a gaslighting, misogynistic asshole mm-hmm. at, in the second book. And I get that he has his own trauma. But so does Feyre. And mm-hmm. he's really not, he's not even trying. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that can be, you know, that's up to the audi- other other people reading it. That's up to their interpretation. For me, I don't care. That was fucked up. Yeah. You know, he literally locks her in against her will. She's right. like, she's, she's, she's panicking because she thinks she's under the mountain. She has PTSD from mm-hmm. what happened. And he is just making it 10 times worse. Like she's like wasting away basically. And he doesn't even care. And he's, you know, misogynistic and saying, Oh, you can never be a high lady. And for the audience out there, you know, high lady is like being like a Lord or a lady of like a court. So there you go. But she can never be that Mm -hmm. Um, to him at least. To him, at least, because then comes Rhysand and he make he 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 what I like about their relationship is that he doesn't do this just for love. He does it out of respect for her as a as a person. Mm-hmm. I was almost going to say human being, but they're not human. Not anymore. Um, yeah. So he he respects her as a person first. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what every woman wants to hear. So that's like a really and that's why it maybe like 
a di- like a, you might have a different opinion than me, but honestly, I feel like women want to be respected first, mm-hmm. and as a person, yeah, before they can like be loved by another person. And so, I, I, I do think he deserves the hate because, of course, then again, when she leaves, he, you know, Tamlin doesn't know, doesn't understand that no means no, right. And not only tries to get her back, but is like, let me bring your sisters to the fairy world and let me give them to the fucking bad guy. Yeah. In order for you to come back to me. Oh, and while I'm at it, they're going to go. They're going to make them fae and possibly kill them. You didn't know about that, but still. But this is because I love you. This is because I love you. So, yeah, I I think he deserves quite a bit of hate. That's fair. Yeah. I have a follow-up question. Now, this is a this is a weird question, so I want to try and explain this as much as possible because I was actually thinking about this very recently. So, in the first book, um Tamlin is the main love interest, and we have Reese who is a, a villain. He's a, he's a, he's the villain of the story for in many aspects. Mm-hmm. Um there is the end part where they kind of work together, but the way that the book kind of portrays it, he's still seen as like the villain. Right now that all gets recontextualized in later books, but let's just say that we stick with the first book, right? We stick with that. Now there, there are some things that Tamlin does that are a bit weird, a bit sketchy. Now, what I'm curious about is that is your opinion, say that the books had been written, the rest of the books had been written so that Tamlin was still the love interest and Reese was still the villain, right? Do you think that audiences would have noticed Tamlin's bad traits? Not necessarily whether or not they're there or not. Let's just say that Tamlin's still Tamlin. But do you think that people would have noticed them if he never if he never became no longer the love interest? Do you think someone they would have eventually seen the red flags or do you think it always is like they needed to see it through Feyre's eyes? You know, that's a really interesting question and honestly, I think that depends on I'm trying to find the right word. Um I I think that really depends on who you are as a person, because mm-hmm. as we know in real life, people choose to ignore red flags all the time. Mm-hmm. People don't see red flags. They just go about their lives. We're not all completely well-adjusted people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think some people could totally go with it and be like, oh my God, no, he's amazing. Yeah. Like I, he is like my book boyfriend yeah. and like but that's them they clearly don't see red flags Mm -hmm. and you know even me like i fell in love with tamlin i was like oh my god i love this man Mm -hmm. and was like no honey and i was like oh my god Mm -hmm. so no like i i think it's i think it's easy it depends i would say that it depends on the kind of person because just depends on how well adjusted you are okay it's possible but not necessarily like certain yeah like natalie i think natalie no no not 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 natalie but one of my coworkers, i think it, it was huma um at work she was like um i think she agreed that she didn't like she saw tamlin red flags from the get-go yeah yeah well that's fair um so for another aspect of the of the book series um what are your thoughts on the final battle at the end of book three the final but ba- oh yeah that that we did talk about that yes. yeah i did reread it and yeah <sighs> um 
when I first read it, I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. The second time I read it, I was, I was, I was a little sad. Yeah. It did. It was a lot shorter than I had initially thought it was. Um, it was good. I mean, I definitely, I, there is, I know you, you have a different opinion, which you're, you bring a very valid argument because I, and I know this is like being very vague right now, but. Um, I, can, I can say what I think if you want me to. Yeah, say what or... you think and then, yeah, yeah. Say what you yeah, think so, and then I'll, I'll so, give you my thing. Yeah, so basically when I was reading the book, because I, I really did like the series, um, but I think that the ending of book three is a definitely a weak point for me. Um, mostly because the ending fight is pretty short. Um, it's only a hundred pages of this like 700, 800 page book. Like it's a gigantic book and there's like all this lead up, but then the main character, Feyre, she has all this power. She's been learning how how to control it. And then she doesn't really do anything with her powers in the final battle. And she doesn't do anything in the final battle really at all. There are like other people that fight the final battle. It's like, like, um, What's it, like Reese isn't even really like that big of a deal in the final battle. It's like Cassian and Nesta who are like a big deal in the final battle, which is kind of cool. But they've really been like kind of like background characters for a lot of the series, and it just felt like it wasn't as epic and like the culmination of what has been happening as it should have been. It felt like some of the things that happened were just kind of random. And then um, I always feel like I mispronounced her name. Is it Amarin? Is that right? Amarin? 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 I think it's Amarin. Amarin? I, I think it's Amarin. Like, and then Amarin just kind of comes in and just kind of cleans up, you know what I mean? And then the worst part for me was that she sacrificed herself to clean up, and then she came back anyway like nothing had happened. She lost her powers, yeah. but I was like, come on, there's got to be some sacrifice here, you know what I mean? I hate, it when, I hate it when authors don't have the balls to commit to their sacrifices. So that's kind of my, yeah. I would say, my issues with the ending. So th- this is my take on it. Um, I... After reading it a second time, I could totally see that because I I think I was more focused on, I wanted to like focus, when you had told me that, I was like, you know, I'm going to reread this and focus a little more closely on like Feyre. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during that book, there are some small battles. Like there are these small, like, you know, they're, um, because I think they're trying to find the, the, the book for the cauldron Mm -hmm. and, um, or pieces of the book Mm -hmm. or was it, Yeah. And every time they go, they encounter some kind of problem and Feyre has to use one of her gifts. Like in one instance, she had to control water. And another instance, she, there was like an ambush and she had to control, I think it was like either fire or wind. One Mm -hmm. time she had to like control ice. Like she has all these powers and she uses them. um, and you're right, at the very end of the... And at one point, she uses all of them at once, which mm-hmm. is really cool. And you would think that would be... Like, that's what's going to lead her to the battle. But do you remember in the third book when her and Asriel um, were talking? Because in one instance, she can shapeshift and grow wings, and she wants to learn how to fly. Yes. Because, you know, content warning. Um, the... You know, they all can fly. And right. Feyre's gifts came from all these high lords of the court. Right. So the fact that she can grow wings is from like Rhysand's night court powers mm-hmm. because he's Valerian, part Valerian. I thought that, I, I always thought that was because of Talon shapeshifting that she could do that. It's both, I think, because mm-hmm. she can shapeshift, but she doesn't shapeshift to a 
um, a wolf like Tamlin. She well, shapes I think him that, to I think that Tamlin can, I think Tamlin could technically shapeshift into anything. I think he just chooses the wolf. Isn't that right? I didn't think so, but I I might have to like look back at that. I I thought he was only able to transform. Into I might have misunderstood, but I thought he could transform into anything. I think he just always did the wolf because that was like his natural state or whatever. Um. But maybe. anyway. But anyways, um. So she wants to learn how to fly, and um, Asriel, you know, has this like heart to heart with her because she's really down on herself. She wants to be able to fly to like mm. be good in battle, which might be in the air mm-hmm. and he was saying how they're like thousands of years ago because they're you know immortal mm-hmm. there was this really big war and there was um this there were like there was um this human named jury Jur- jurian mm-hmm. i can't pronounce his name yeah I think it's jurian and he was in charge of like the human lands and then there was these two other people that I can't even remember their names right now, but um, they were like Faye. Yeah. And the girl was like, um, she had like been speared or something awful had happened to her. And this other Valerian who had like problems with her wings, she could she couldn't fly, mm-hmm. but she managed to basically save her from death and flew her. So even when the impossible seemed impossible, she made it possible. Right. That was like this motivating story that Azriel told Feyre. Right. Like in your weakest of moments, or like in your strongest of in your most powerful moments, the weakest person can be like the most powerful and can be the one that makes or breaks mm-hmm. like a battle, stuff like that. Right. And I almost wonder if that message, even though it was meant for Feyre, was supposed to be like an empowering moment for these other background characters. Like maybe that was like their shining moment. Like, mm-hmm. yes, these characters seem really unimportant to us, but here I'm going to show you why they are important because mm-hmm. they're going to be the ones that save the day. Yeah. While Feyre and Rhysand take a back seat. Now, that's a stylistic choice of Sarah J. Moss. I'm not saying it's the best one, but that could have been mm-hmm. why she did that. Sure. Because of that. And, um, but my opinion on it is kind of mixed. I think it was, I, I do agree with what you say, which is, yeah, it was very short, mm-hmm. but I do think it was kind of cool seeing these other characters. Besides Feyre and Rhysand save the day, because we had already been seeing them, like, kicking ass and taking names and all these other mini-battles throughout the book. My only problem with that point of view is that then they got their own book. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, like Cassian it's and Nesta, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, why give them the end of Feyre's not, of trilogy if they're going to get their own book? I don't know. But I see what you're saying, though. I think that definitely could be a stylistic choice, and it could definitely kind of, like, tie into the themes if that's definitely what she was going for. I just don't know if it worked for me, necessarily. Yeah, and, um, I mean, that, that's a good point. Cause, but I will say, like, even in their own book, their their battle is more personal. It's more personal to, to the both of them. Mm-hmm. It, like, that has nothing to do with Feyre and Rhysand. Yeah. Um, like, that's definitely a more personal battle. Definitely. Okay. Um, I only got a few more questions for you. Um, so do you think that the magic of Akatar will diminish if Sergei Moss keeps making books in the series from other characters' perspectives? Like, do you think if she continues this on for too long, the series will lose its magic? I think it can. I don't think she'll go on for too much longer. Like, some people are saying that this next book will probably be from Elaine's perspective. It's more likely that, like, we'd like it to be from Al- Well. I mean, it could be from both. It could be Elaine and Nazriel mm-hmm. because in the, the Court of Silver Flames, it's both Nesta and Cassian. But 
I think she's going to do like the three sisters. There's Feyre. That was her series. You know, mm. Nessa's going to have her own book. Elaine's going to have her own book. I think she's going to end it there. You think it's going to be it? Um, I think that's going to be it for Court of Thorns and Roses. But again, like I said, she's twisted this into this other world. Mm. And if she, if it goes the way, if if she twists it into this other world, it could go a lot longer. But mm. it won't be just the Court of Thorns and Roses anymore in that world. It'll be It'll be like a mix of characters in a different world. It'll be like a new story. Like all three of them will come kind of streamline into a new series or story almost. Yeah. Even, even if it's not yeah. called a new series, it'll be like its own thing. Yeah. This might be this might be giving it way too much high praise, but I feel like it's gonna be like Marvel where there are gonna be different arcs. Yeah. Yeah. Phase one is done, phase two is starting. Yeah, phase phase one and two are done. We're phase going three. into phase three. Going into now. end game now. Yeah, this is like end game. Yeah. There you go. Maybe we'll see. Um, so actually, so I did very brief research, but I was when I was looking, I actually, so I don't know anything about Throne of Glass. I, I haven't, I don't, I haven't really learned too much about it, but I actually found out it was inspired by Cinderella. It was actually one of the main inspirations. That makes um, sense. I could, I could see that so far. And I know that A Court of Thrones Rose was inspired by Beauty and the Beast. So my question to you was, do you see any like Disney or fairy tale influences in Crescent City? No. No. I, I mean, know. maybe it's completely maybe I'm not seeing it. Yeah. But to me, no, no way. No. It okay. reads more like I don't know. Um It reads it's very interesting. It reads like the first Crescent City book reads like a a detective novel almost, except okay. it's it's except it's fantasy. Interesting. Yeah. It's definitely a different style for her. It is. It's very. It's interesting. So, um, I was actually thinking back to the conversation that I had with Sydney, um, and I asked her a question that I thought would actually be very interesting to ask you here because it kind of works with what we're talking about. So. I know that you've watched that podcast, so I wanted to ask you the question. What do you think are some necessary attributes for a good fantasy novel? What do you think is required to make a good fantasy novel, in your opinion? That's hard, because this is the only fantasy series I've ever really read. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess Lord of the... I've read Lord of the Rings, but right. I mean... The fantasy series, even. That's... That's... Nobody reads that book for fun, I don't think. I think they, I mean, I didn't read it for fun. I did not like, it was. That's a take, I think. I think that might be a take. It could be a hot take, because I did not read that for fun. I, I, The Hobbit was good, but honestly, like, Tolkien will literally go on, like, a fucking whole chapter describing a tree. Like, maybe that's exaggerating, but I swear to God, it's like three, three man likes pages. trees. Okay. He he's was like, the, I, I think it's three whole pages. He was the speaker of the trees. Tree. It's I'll insane. The, I'll have to find I have a quote from him. I'll have to find you a quote from him where he actually has a quote about why he talks about trees so much. Yeah. Find it. It, it, I liked it better as a movie. Mm -hmm. I, I think I did. But I mean, I like The Hobbit. I, I think I pushed through the rest of like the Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. mostly because I just. I wanted to. I wanted to just say that I have read it, sure. which I did, and I, I I did appreciate it, but it was dry. So I mean, aside from that, and I mean, I've read Harry Potter, so I mean, I guess there's some fantasy, but this is like a really high fantasy well, series. Well, just in general, it doesn't have to be high fantasy. What do you think is required for a good fantasy novel? What do you think are some attributes that are necessary in your? 
You could even say just for, for you to like it. What do you think? I think Sydney said it. Well, I don't know if I'm going to say it exactly how she said it. But, you know, there's got to be, like, the magic has to be good. It can't be, like, cheesy magic. Like, you know, I, I think that what I find really interesting about a fantasy series is how they can incorporate magic to, like, in a physiological sense. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, this is a good example for in Crescent City. Right. Um, this city is very diverse there are fairies there are werewolves there are vampires there are witches there are fallen angels mm -hmm. there is a whole mix of different creatures there's like fire sprites there's mm -hmm. anything you can think of it's there there's mermaids right and um it's insane how big it is but they all have this like thing called the drop mm -hmm. and if you go through the drop you're basically immortal but your body physically has to go through that mm-hmm and she's decided to make this throughout, like, um, well, I actually shouldn't say that. It's not all supernatural characters. Like, I know Faye who are, like, born of, of f that are full, because, again, like, this book is, like, mixed. There's, right. like, mixed breeding, right. even. Like, humans are even, like, mixing with, like, Faye or vampires and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so Bryce Quinlan, she's half human, half Faye. Mm-hmm. So she's like mortal up to a certain point. Yeah. Um, but she's aging and eventually right. she does go through the drop, which right. makes her immortal and you get to choose. And it's actually like this. It's a very interesting thing, but it, it's magic in a sense like that. Like it's 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 taking it on a on. I, I like to listen to maybe it's the biologist in me, but I like it when the magic makes sense on a biological level of mm. the the, the speed of like the. The fantasy like species right that is important to me okay. i mean even in harry potter they they did that you know like only like like they they had like muggle borns mm -hmm. they had like wizards you know but like even those who were muggle like somehow had a certain magical trait and they were able to go to hogwarts you know right like hermione she her both of her parents were muggles and she still went to Hogwarts, but there must have been some kind of like magical trait, like speaking, that right. allowed her to be mm -hmm. a witch. Okay, definitely interesting. Anything else you want to add to that? I think. Was that the main? I think what makes I, I think what makes a good a good fantasy series too is really just a good creative world. Um, like I know Sid, I loved it when Sydney was talking about. Shout out to her, by the way. Um, <laughs> like. We have another Labyrinth fan on the podcast right now. Today, yes, everyone. yes. Labyrinth is such a good Required movie. reading it, for the Talking's it, Not Dead podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Labyrinth Labyrinth is really good. And um, that's a great example of honestly, like, what fantasy should be like. It should be a whole world. Um, more David Bowie in tight pants. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> but it like that's that's a that's really good like those are good like um like even the never ending story is a really good one too like mm -hmm. those are classics yeah so my last real question i wanted to ask you it's a two-parter what do you think at least in your reading or your opinion the ultimate message is from the quarter third of rosen's uh novel series what do you think the main message or the main takeaway is Man, if I had more time to ponder that question, I could come up with a really, really good answer. But 
You could take time to think um, about it if you want. No, I would need more than just like a hot minute. Okay. I would need to like, this is like a day to contemplate because that's a really <laughs> good question. Um, I think the main takeaway is you are more than your obstacles. Mm. And I think it's really kind of that you are more than your obstacles and um, you are stronger than you believe. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I think that definitely fits with what I read too. Mm -hmm. So my second question, same question, but for Crescent City, what do you think the main takeaway is the main message that you got from your reading of Crescent City? That one is a lot more harder. Um, but I think it's that you have to put your walls. That's like, that's definitely more like you need to, like, you can also be soft and sharp. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. being soft doesn't mean you're weak. Right. And it doesn't, and it doesn't mean that you can't like let love in and be destroyed by it. Yeah. That's a good message. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any last minute thoughts or last things you want to add before we end? Um, read, read, read all of the books, read Sarah J. Moss, please. Like, I think the, I think we, I think like people on TikTok, like call it like Moss trash. <laughs> I've never I think heard that's of like, that. I think that's like a saying, but I'm totally here for it. Just become one of us. It's awesome. Read the books. Third um, book of Crescent City comes out in what, December? January? January. January. Early January. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I, I, I looked this up myself. So if anybody's wondering like what to start with, I've, I've looked it up too. I think the best series to read first is A Court of Thorns and Roses. I didn't do this, but I heard the next book after Court of Thorns and Roses to read is the Throne of Glass series. So Court of Thorns and Roses, Throne of Glass, then Crescent City. Yes, and I definitely think that A Court of Thorns and Roses, the first book is definitely a bit of a weird book. Like, it's like, once you get through the first book, then it kind of picks on, like, the series picks up attraction. It's very, yeah. the first book is different from the rest of the series. So if you can get for the first book, the rest of the series picks up. It does. Because, yeah, I think a lot of people think it's really cheesy. But it's short. It's short. Yeah. Well, relatively. Um, Relatively speaking, you just got to get through it. Relatively. Um, But once you do, you're in for a wild ride. All right. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me.